Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Friends, Josh and Catherine Kilmer will be joining us today in the cafe to share their story with us. Good morning, Dave. Hello, Amanda. How you doing? I'm wonderful. <laughs> I am wonderful. It's Friday. It couldn't get any better. Yeah. Yeah. Could you start us off with a prayer? Absolutely. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to be together, uh, to talk about you. And bless us as we go about our days. Keep us close to your, to your son's heart that, uh, we may walk more closely with him and shine your light into the lives of those that we meet today. Mother Mary, lead us to your son. Pope St. Leo the Great. Pray for us. Amen. Amen. Son, Holy Spirit. Pope St. Leo the Great. Yeah, what about him? Do you know what makes him great? Tell me. I guess he talks some smack down with Attila the Hun. No way. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, Attila was on his rampage throughout Europe, made it to the, to the gates, I guess, of Rome. Okay. Pope Saint, or Pope Leo the Great. He was just Pope Leo at that point. This is what made him great. <laughs> okay. Uh, met Attila out front. They talked to each other. No one knows what they said to each other, but Attila turned around and Rome was saved. That does sound like a pretty good reason to have the name great yeah yeah <laughs> wow yeah i wonder what they said i don't know <laughs> lost to history but we can only imagine whatever it was it That's was right. good it was good uh we still include a number of leo the greats uh sermons and writings in the liturgy of the hours and there's one from one of his sermons that we pray on christmas day it says, uh, Christian, remember your dignity. Hmm. And now that you share in God's own nature, do not return by sin to your former base condition. So Pope St. John, or Pope, why did I want to say John? Pope St. Leo the Great. <laughs> Pray for us. Amen. <laughs> Big weekend ahead. That's right. Tomorrow is the Evangelization Summit, yeah. Leadership Summit. We'll be there. At ODU That's all right. day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So friends, if you're there, stop by our table and say hi to us. We'd love to meet you in person. And tomorrow's also Veterans Day, so we honor our veterans. That's so right. thank, you thank you to all of our friends that are veterans, men and women who have made huge sacrifices uh, to protect our country. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Did you have pudding? No, I didn't have pudding because yesterday was British pudding yeah, day. Yeah, let's put it into context. <laughs> I, did, yeah. I didn't have British pudding. Did no. you? No. No, it was too late. By the time uh, I made it home, the person in our house that would make pudding, it just wasn't going to come together. Uh, bummer. <laughs> I, I did have a cookie yesterday, though, so that was nice. <laughs> N you know, not the same alternative, but, right. but you know. A cookie's still pretty good. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I had a salad last night. Mm, yeah, nothing it was, like it, a pudding. Yeah, it was pretty low impact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't think. Of, oh, and I had a bowl of ice cream. What am I saying? Okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Orange and vanilla. Vanilla cream. 
orange, kind of like a, a float type of a thing going on there with chocolate chips. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have Next thought level. the chocolate chips. Yeah, you know, my family guilted me on that also. <laughs> I mean, why? Why not put chocolate chips on it? Mm, good question. Uh, because it doesn't why, sound like it goes very well together, but <laughs> that's okay. You know, Cam is also shaking his head, actually. <laughs> I have backup here. Josh, Catherine, come in. <laughs> <laughs> One of you support me. We need your honesty. Yeah, here. I mean, chocolate <laughs> chips with orange and vanilla. Yeah, why not? We used to always rag on my dad for creations he would make in the kitchen. He would just throw together all the leftovers, which is very resourceful. He was trying not to be wasteful. But he would put peanut butter with all kinds of nuts and seeds. And we always said he ate like a bird, except he ate a lot. So I don't know. It was odd. <laughs> a lot of a seeds, lot of seeds on everything. It always looked like he had bird food. <laughs> A Matt Palmer that we have never yes, seen before. Right? Yes. <laughs> so, Catherine, you are Matt's daughter. I am Matt's daughter. Yeah. For yeah. anybody who knows my dad, Matt Palmer, I'm the middle daughter. My maiden name's Palmer, and now I'm married to Josh Kilmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you grew up in Columbus? Yes. I grew up in Bexley, and I went to Bexley schools through um, eighth grade, and then I went to Bishop Hartley for high school. Go Hawks. Yeah, go Hawks. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. thankful for a lot about my Hartley years. Josh, where are you from? Yeah, my dad was in the Army, so I've moved around throughout my childhood. Mm-hmm. But he retired when I was in seventh grade. And that was, he retired from Carlisle the Army War College there. And so, Carlisle, was, Pennsylvania. Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Yep. Great trout Sorry, fishing in that, that area. Yeah, there is. Yes. Uh-huh. And so, Central PA for. Most of middle school, high school, for middle school and high school. And then I went to St. Vincent College outside of Pittsburgh in Latrobe. Mm-hmm. Benedictine School. Benedictine School. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they have a, is there a seminary there also? There is. There. Yeah, there, there is a seminary uh-huh. there where I don't think any Columbia, I don't think we send any anybody there, but no. Covington, Cincinnati actually sends some, Erie, Pittsburgh. A lot of dioceses, Harrisburg, sent some seminaries, seminarians there. Yeah. Now, both of you were raised Catholic. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I always, I always kind of butcher this story. I was baptized Methodist, and we did become Catholic. You were, when, in what you were year? nine. You were nine. Josh knows, even though he didn't know. <laughs> I've told this story Good incorrectly <laughs> yeah. to people, and somehow Josh, even though he was not there, I didn't even know him. She's but one he of knows. those people who doesn't really remember anything before they're nine or ten. You know this kind yeah. of people. Yeah, like, I'm actually kind of one of those people. So. <laughs> okay. I remember things from three and four so vividly, yes. and she's like, ah. I don't remember before middle school. Yes. My dad had a big conversion to the Catholic faith, and um, my mom was raised Catholic, but we had been, you know, like I said, I was baptized Methodist because my dad was Methodist. So um, when my dad came into the church, then we all followed along and uh, received the sacraments. My mom came back to the church, so very thankful for my dad's conversion. He had a really neat experience. I think it was at St. Catherine Church where he was not Catholic yet, but there were things going on in the Methodist church that he knew were wrong related to abortion and some other issues. And he's like, okay, well, I just figured out that this church isn't the true church because, you know, they support these things that are morally wrong. So he sort of just did what I guess anybody else would do is he just started 
looking at other churches. He's like, I guess it's not this one, so I need to find a different one. So I think each Sunday, and he could probably tell the story better, but I think each Sunday he would kind of just go to a different church. Like he mm. went to Christ Lutheran, I think. And then one Sunday he went into St. Catherine and was just kind of in the back of the church and didn't really know, to my recollection, much theology at all about what happens during the Mass. But he said during the transubstantiation, when the priest raised the host, he just knew that he was witnessing a miracle and it just mm. hit him and kind of grabbed him by the collar and it wasn't long after that, yeah, he became Catholic. I mean, he started reading. He started talking with my uncle, Greg, who was a Catholic, and asking him questions. Um, but, yeah, he very quickly realized that this was the fullness of truth and had a really powerful conversion. And then we all followed right along. He was a great spiritual leader, so he led us all into the church, too, and very, very grateful for that. Wouldn't be sitting here with all of you and with Josh without that. <laughs> yeah, we're I'm grateful. Sure, yeah. yeah, God could have found another way, but <laughs> right. that was the way that God used to bring me into the Catholic Church. So Very good. What was your uh, faith like growing up, Josh? A lot of the EWTN was on in the background. <laughs> I wasn't really paying attention, but my, my dad really got into um, living out his faith when I was in middle school. Yeah. And when he was retiring and at, from active duty. Um, and so by middle school and high school, I started to get more involved at our parish with my kind of just riding on the coattails of my dad's more deep conversion. Mm -hmm. He he was a con an adult convert when I was a baby, um, but it wasn't until his late 40s that he started praying the rosary devoutly and really listening to Mother Angelica and... So I just kind of was watching my dad and I was looking up to him. And so I was just like, well, I love him and he's <laughs> witnessing to this and he's more joyful than ever. So I yeah got got into my faith in high school, but it wasn't until college and in the witness of the monks and their 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 lives of, of prayer that I really uh, went all in. Well, I love in both your, your both of your stories how how your dads mm. yeah. uh, really Definitely. influenced the yeah. family. Yes, they have, and they still do to this day. They're both great Catholic men. Yeah. How'd the two of you meet? Okay. Well, we were both involved in a pro-life and chastity Catholic ministry at the time called Generation Life, and it's based out of Philadelphia. Um, and there were different like teams of missionaries. So we would do pro-life and chastity outreach, um, actually continued on to do very similar work with Amanda in the Culture Project. So if anyone's familiar with the Culture Project, yeah, sure. very similar missions. Um, but at the time, it was Generation Life that Josh and I were a part of. And so we would go into middle school, high school, college classrooms, youth groups, really anywhere that there were young people gathered, and we would share the messages of chastity and um, and the beauty of human life and specifically the tragedy of abortion um, and sort of seeing chastity as, um, you know, if that virtue is lived out well, then God willing, there won't even be young people or young women who are in situations where they feel, you know, very nervous or worried about a pregnancy, but rather it would be within the bonds of marriage and that child would be more readily welcomed. So anyway, we were both doing that. I was speaking in New York City. Josh was speaking in the Philadelphia area. And 
the first time I remember being interested in Josh, because we had met at training um, for the ministry, but I, I wouldn't say we were particularly close. I, I, would, I guess you could say we were more than acquaintances, but less than good friends. I don't know. Yeah, I'd put um, it that way. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but he was kind enough. I don't know if he was asked or if you volunteered to come fill in for a talk in New York because we were short on a male speaker that day. So he came to my door. I got word from one of my roommates that he was going to be coming to fill in for a talk. And um, all of a sudden it was odd because I knew he was going to be stopping by the apartment to pick up my roommate, Casey, to take her on the talk with him. And I felt this nervousness in seeing him. Like I was like, what am I wearing? Like, has Josh eaten dinner yet? Because it was kind of an evening talk, I recall. And so I was like scurrying around our little apartment kitchen um, in the Bronx trying to see if we had like pasta or something I could make him before the talk so he could eat before they left. It was very like, I would like to think that I would do that for anybody, you know, trying to make sure everyone was fed. But I was really, I could tell something in me was like, I think I like Josh Kilmer. <laughs> so, that's when it hit you when you were looking for the yes, pasta. <laughs> I was looking for pasta in my dingy little Bronx apartment kitchen and realized, I think I really like him. And um, then the next month, we were at June training you, together. You didn't even know I was Italian then. Probably. I didn't even know you were my Italian. My last name is Kilmer. I'm half Italian. He's half Italian. His mother's Italian. So I didn't even know you were Italian, yeah. and I was looking for pasta for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. And then the next month, I guess, I, I must have apparently, he can tell this part of the story, but I guess I made it very obvious to him at June training that I was interested in him because I was just very much like, I don't know, we were down praying in this crypt in the lower part of the church and it was kind of cool down there. So I leaned over and asked if I could have his sweatshirt and I asked like... Your hoodie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were going to a different offsite mass and he was one of the he was one of the people who had volunteered to drive and his car was full and i nonetheless asked if i could squeeze in the car and i kind of kicked out i think father cashin got uh, yeah. out cuz i wanted to get in your car i think it was father cashin yeah <laughs> he the dominican father sure. cashin uh it's benedictine no, okay yeah. so he he was he's now a father uh, he's a monk of saint vincent but it, this was at St. Vincent where our training yeah. was, and he That's was, he he was, was a part of the So you made project. Father walk. Yeah. He, he right? wasn't a priest. He, he wasn't, wasn't a priest. He was our friend Lamar. He was just our friend. Yeah, he was just our friend. Yeah, so at the time, he wasn't even a brother. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He was just yeah. Lamar. I was like, yeah. Lamar, I'm getting in this class. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really say that. I think he he was gracious, and yeah. he volunteered to He's now the godfather of our fourth. He is. Yep, he's the godfather of, yes. Of our fourth child. And if yep. you wouldn't have kicked him out, then he would never have been. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure he's like, right. oh, that's okay. Then Alice wouldn't exist, and he wouldn't be her godfather. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you have those same feelings then towards I Catherine? I did not. No? Not, not at that point. I mean, I could tell that she really liked me, and so I was like, well, she's really pretty, and she likes me, so let's try it. And so... Funny. It was they grew. The feelings grew. The affections it was humbling grew. Humbling for me. When he asked me out, he didn't um, even particularly like me. Not particularly. But <laughs> I mean, it you was had a night open. And, you, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, just being honest. But do you, do you remember of, yeah. her making you pasta though? That didn't. Oh, that yeah. didn't impress no, you at all. Oh no, it was good. All right. It was good pasta, but <laughs> it was it was like leftovers. So it was as good as is that leftovers what I made you be. leftovers? Yeah, yeah. It was from the day prior. Okay, but I don't you, you heat it up and then you. <laughs> Spruce it up with some 
some Parmesan. But. Oh my gosh. There you go. Yeah. There you funny. go. <laughs> so that was around the time then that you came into St. Gabriel right. to, re- yeah, to record a show with your later. dad. That's right. right? Yes. We so came- you're, you were still with Gen Life. You know, yes, I think it was still Generation Life when we were dating. All throughout our yeah, dating for, yeah. months, we dated for 10 months. And mm-hmm. I think that, was, that was when we were in Generation Life. Well, I, I've gone b- back to finish my senior year. You don't remember. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that whole I remember that part yeah. of the story, yes. actually. So yeah. your dad was interviewing you, Catherine. And okay. Josh kind of tagged along. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah sat over here in the corner <laughs> while, while this was going on. <laughs> But uh, how did you approach uh, Mr. Palmer? Uh, yeah, so I, I very uh, much respect the role of the father in the life of, of yeah, of, of a lady. Of, of, and I knew that Catherine's dad, just by virtue of talking with Catherine, would appreciate me approaching him and asking him if I can date his daughter. So I did that. And he said, yeah, yeah, please do. So, I mean, that, that, not many people do that these no, days. No, that's but. so right. impressive. I mean, because that was at the beginning of your courtship. So was, you yeah. actually asked yeah, Matt so, if, you, if you could date Catherine. Yeah, like officially. We had yeah. gone on a couple of dates, and I was like, well, I want to make this official. And so I wasn't asking for the hand of marriage yet, but I was asking if I can actually right. really and pursue how old, her. How old were you at that time? I was 22. 22, okay. I was 24. I'm two years older than him. Yeah. And I think, if I recall, I had just moved back home from New York City, and I was living at my parents' house at the time, and I think you wrote a letter in the mail. That's something I don't remember. I might have I think you wrote, I think you hand wrote a letter that came to the mailbox on Fair Avenue. Probably. I'm pretty sure that's how you asked my dad. It was really sweet. I think I was home. I hope he kept came. the letter. I mean, you, you guys have to find this. <laughs> I know, isn't that sweet? Josh has done a lot of romantic things. He's a very good letter writer to this day. In fact, our eight-year wedding anniversary was on Monday, Tuesday. 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 Very bittersweet day because of the tragedy of issue one passing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he wrote me a beautiful letter. Eight years later, he still writes beautiful letters on our anniversaries and birthdays. And he wrote a nice letter Back then to whoever he's writing to, to my dad, to me. He's a very good writer. Mm. Just thought I'd put that out there. A little brag on you. <laughs> <laughs> Josh so, and Catherine Kilmer are with us yeah. in the St. Gabriel Cafe. Um, Dave, I don't know what you were going to ask, but I was I was just going to no, go ask what, what drew you to the mission of talking to kids about chastity. <laughs> I love to ask you the same question yeah. that's how you and I met, Amanda. That's true. That's true. So, does well, do all the listeners know that you were also a part of the Yeah, so project? I was a culture project missionary for one year. Um I believe I did that in 2017, 18. Mm-hmm. So, that was yeah. just such a beautiful experience. It taught me so much about just how to love authentically and you know, share the story of um, the beauty of of chastity and marriage and saying mm-hmm. yes to love. So, yes. not that I had all that figured out, you know, before the culture project. And I think, in some ways, you know, we're all on this yes. journey of learning to love well. Yes. Um, Absolutely. But, well, to answer your question, I wasn't trying to dodge it, but 
Um, I am grateful that the Culture Project brought us together. And I was drawn to Generation Life in the Culture Project. Um, a couple of reasons. In high school, I had, I guess, a more um, intimate, sort of deeper conversion to my Catholic faith. Um, I experienced adoration for the first time. I'd actually never been to adoration until I was 15 years old. And I really felt an intimacy with Christ in adoration that I hadn't experienced before. Um, and started going to youth group and getting more involved in, you know, spending time with other young people who were passionate about the Catholic faith. Is this all at St. Catherine's? This was, well, yes, we were parishioners at St. Catherine's mm -hmm. and I was um, involved at the time, Dan Demite and Aaron Richards were youth ministers um, in Upper Arlington at um, St. Andrew and St. Agatha, I think, right. were two of the parishes where they had, back then it was Jesus Jams. <laughs> Jesus Jam <laughs> comes up enough. again. That's the second time this week that we've mentioned Jesus Jams. I am old so. enough to have gone to Jesus Jams. And um, I'm thankful for the early seeds that that planted in my heart of being yeah. excited about the Catholic faith. I think it put me on a good path, and I went to CYSC, and then... Um, when I went to college, it was interesting, though, because I was already very excited about the Catholic faith. A natural choice might have been to go to a wonderful Catholic college, but I didn't choose that. I chose a public school in Virginia, the College of William and Mary, and mm. I was interested in their philosophy program, which, you know, God uses everything for the good. If I could do it again, I would probably or definitely choose to study, not just probably, I would definitely choose to study at um, a Catholic college if I wanted to study philosophy, but God protected me and he used it. And it's, you know, I trust his, his will. So, um, I studied philosophy there and I was blessed to meet a really wonderful group of young Catholics who were on fire for the faith through the CCM there, um, the Catholic campus ministry. Um, and around that time I started to, there was a students for life group at William and Mary. Um, and I, started to get really more interested in the pro-life topic. And I'm trying to remember exactly the first time that I stumbled across this website, but somehow um, I stumbled across a website that had pro-life apologetics on it. And it was like a very basic website. I mean, it looks- Scott Klusendorf's? Well, I quickly yeah. became interested in his work, but this one, I still remember it was like black, white, and red. And it had like really funny fonts. Like it looked like somebody made it in like five minutes. It was like <laughs> this low budget website, but it had a ton of truth on it about pro-life apologetics. And I became so fascinated by how airtight and compelling the pro-life position is. Like every single argument against it, I found had a really good compelling response and one that was actually charitable and founded in love and truth of the human person and the dignity of the human person. And so it wasn't just about having these like zingers and gotchas like, oh, if, you know, if somebody says this about abortion, then here's what you say. And you can always to win pursue. the argument. Right. And yeah. of course, you can win the argument because we have the truth. But it was I found it so amazing that not only was it intellectually true, but it was also actually the most loving thing, not only for the preborn child, but also for the mother and also for the father and also yeah. for society at large. And it was like, this is just a win across the board. There's an, everything good and nothing bad in this position. There's everything true and nothing false. And I was just captivated by the like truthiness of the pro-life position. And um, so I got really involved in the Students for Life group at William & Mary. Um, I actually got involved with Students for Life, um, which Kristen Hawkins still runs to this day. And she 
helped to equip our campus, which was, you know, very divided on the issue of abortion and probably largely pro-choice. But she helped to equip our campus with great Catholic, I'm sorry, not Catholic, but well, actually sometimes, but pro-life speakers. Um, Scott Klusendorf, Josh is right, is one of them that I listened to a lot in those years. David B. Wright, uh, Sean Carney, yeah. um, Stephanie, Stephanie Gray, now mm-hmm. who's now Stephanie Gray Connors, Lila Rose. Um, these are people that I would sit in my dorm room and I would, you know, pull up talks on YouTube and listen to their apologetics on the pro-life position. Um, I was also at the time learning more about my Catholic faith. And so um, listening to speakers who would talk about things like chastity um, and kind of how those two, um, you know, the virtue of chastity and the pro-life position really do go hand in hand so beautifully. Um, And so it was sort of a natural step when I graduated to want to continue that work, pro-life and uh, sharing the pro-life and chastity messages. So um, I remember meeting Christina Barba. In fact, um, when I was a student, I had invited Christina Barba, who's um, was used to be the director of Generation Life and is now the founder of the Culture Project. But I had invited her on to William and Mary's campus to talk about the, um, you know, on that campus, the very controversial topic of contraception. Um, I think that's what happened. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I hope it, it, that, it, that, yeah, is yeah. How, that is the topic she came. Okay. I wasn't there, but I've heard this <laughs> yeah. many times. Yeah. So Corey yeah. Larkin, my friend Corey Larkin and I invited Christina Barba. He was friends with Christina first. Um, and we invited her to come speak on that topic. And so I already knew her. In fact, she had a sleepover in my dorm room with me when she came to speak. <laughs> she immediately became like a big sister to me. We stayed in touch and she had started this ministry. Um, I don't know. Was it around started the time the that mission, I graduated? Started the missionary program. With, the missionary with program. Yeah, yes. But, right. At, so. at that time on, on, on campus, were you able to have dialogue? Or is it as heated mm-hmm. and as uh, divisive as it is now? Or uh, Back then, definitely was not as heated. Um, today, you still can have great conversations on campus. Uh, it, there is more hostility from the other side, for sure, uh, more aggression. But if you're careful and you're there peacefully, you can still have some great conversations. I'm, I've, mm-hmm. I'm still, I, I work for Students for Life, and so I mm-hmm. go into college campuses pretty regularly and having great conversations with with people who want to talk about it um well let's yeah let's stay on this for for a couple minutes is there a secret sauce to having that conversation Mm. to starting that conversation sauce showing up Mm. (laughs) you know that's that's half of it right there is having the courage to show up and um do what's hard and what nobody else wants to do Mm -hmm. um you don't have to be this quick-witted expert. You definitely have to know your stuff. You have to know how to speak about it um, with charity and be able to thoroughly understand the pro-life arguments for sure. Uh, but there's not a secret like this is gonna get them mm. every time. Uh, you know, the other person has to have an open heart and and. Uh, Usually, you're able to have really great, stimulating and peaceful conversations on campus, even still today. Um, you're not going to get that impression if you're just watching Fox News, watching the media. Yeah. And you're going to get the sense that all, all college students have lost their minds. Everybody hates each other. It's not the case. There, Yes, there, it is worse than it was 15 years ago. I'm not denying that, but mm-hmm. you still are able to have... Um, great conversations. There's not a secret sauce. 
Good. Um, well, good. Is, but good. <laughs> but showing up is yeah. is half. Is, yeah. is half of it I and i say. think cheerfulness yeah. too cheerfulness, a cheerful yeah, confidence you know just yeah confidence is that you're talking to yeah. another person having i think a winsome cheerful i don't know yeah. the, the, the when you said secret sauce the only thing that came to mind my mind if there were one which besides showing up that's actually a much better answer than what i was going to say but i was going to say having a cheerful disposition about it because you're sharing something good you're sharing something beautiful and true and um now I know the tone of the conversation doesn't always stay there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I depending would, I, on how the other person responds. I, before we go on to something else, I know there's a lot to talk about. I would love to mention a really amazing statistic: Students for Life, for about ten years before Roe versus Wade was reversed, um, we would um, track our statistics, and we had a change mind rate of about eight nine percent, like changing from generally generally pro-choice or pro-abortion to pro-life now since the reversal of roe versus wade that's up at up at around 16 17 18 percent wow for these last two years of hmm. so there's why, more why openness you, there's more openness okay because of the victory of dobbs and i think you know college students they're seeing like oh well i don't have to like it's not the law of the land everywhere and so mm-hmm. they are seeing it as like, well, let's talk about it. And so there's just more openness across the board with with mm. with young people, at least. I don't know. For older generations, they're probably pretty, I, I think they're pretty stuck in their position. But I've never asked um, you this, Josh. I mean, obviously the grace of God can always hit, right. hit anybody regardless of age. But right. you know, they're still in college, malleable, open to new ways of thinking and mm-hmm and open to truth. I've never asked you this, Josh, but I was wondering, do you think that the fact that Gen Z is increasingly relativistic, each generation is more and more prone to relativism, that that could actually perhaps, obviously that's a tragedy, but could it work to your advantage or to, you know, when you're on a college campus because they're open-minded, they're like, well, I don't know what's true. Anything could be true. And then you have the opportunity to present something that you're saying is true. And because they don't really have any firm worldview that they've already adopted in most cases, maybe they would think that the pro-life position is true. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean... Not really. <laughs> I I don't know if that is the case, like, that and versus 15 years ago. Like, I'm trying to think of, right. like, versus when we were in college 10 to 15 years ago, students are more relativistic. I think it's pretty much the same. Yes. I think and that, that is actually a worldview in and of itself. So. More of an... Yeah more of an openness to hearing about this particular issue because of what happened last June. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Josh and Catherine Kilmer here in the cafe with us. We're talking about pro-life apologetics. So this is, uh, did you go to California? At some point, was that yes. what the culture project? I'm impressed, Dave. You know a lot of these details. <laughs> it was so fun. Those Holy were, Spirit. Our yeah. newlywed days were in California. I have such a special place in my heart for our days in Escondido, California, which is a little suburb, I guess you could say, of San Diego. And Josh um, went to graduate school at John Paul the Great Catholic University in Escondido. And so I remember when we were engaged and you drove off, packed up the car and started classes, grad school classes. 
um, packed up his car. I didn't have a car. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, you started classes there and then you flew back to to Columbus to get married to me at St. Catherine. And then we flew off the day after our wedding back to San Diego to have a little honeymoon in San Diego so he could finish his graduate school. So we started, like, I moved into that little apartment where he'd been living. Um, And those were our first newlywed days. And it was just kind of a, I don't know, I don't want to say a janky apartment, but what's so sweet about it is we were, like, deliriously happy. And we had no money. And he was a student. And we quickly got pregnant with Henry, which was such a, a grace and a blessing. But it was just it didn't matter to us that we kind of, yeah, we're living in a lot of ways, I don't know, more simple life. Like we were just so happy to be married and to have that little apartment and to have Henry. And it was so fun. We had a great Catholic community there through the university. We shared that little dingy um, uh, Honda, uh, not Odyssey, Honda Accord. And we would drop Josh off at Henry and I would, Josh dropped Josh off at graduate school classes because we shared that car and then we'd go to the grocery store and then we'd we go pick him back up for another two years. We had that for five, yeah, year, we five years. Yeah. <laughs> five years. Yeah. We, we were, were committed to car. having, having me home. And so I stopped working, you know, a couple weeks before Henry was born. And so our income was just what you were making at the culture project. Right. I guess. And then St. Brendan. Yeah. Yep. And then St. Brendan after that. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, I just, I have such a fondness in my heart for those simple days in our little, Honda Accord with Henry. <laughs> it was really fun. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, what was your uh, degree in at JP2? Theology. I got mm-hmm. my master's in theology. I was studying biblical theology. Uh, and then actually Dr. Michael Barber ended up going to the Augustine Institute and Dr. John Kincaid. So both of these great men, great professors, they ended up leaving and then the Augustine Institute kind of took on the biblical theology program and I ended up finishing at the Augustine Institute so I'm sure many of your listeners are very familiar with the Augustine Institute and so yeah finished my degree well I'm glad you mentioned uh, JP too because obviously he had to have been a huge part he was instrumental for both of us um in college um I mentioned my friend Corey Larkin but Corey Larkin um, was just a young, he was a year ahead of me at William & Mary, but he started a group on campus um, called Greatness, and it was a Theology of the Body group. So that was um, something that I was a part of in college, and, um, you know, I'm thankful for how that kind of, yeah, set me on a path to to join Generation Life and to meet Josh, and so I'm very grateful for that. When were you first exposed to Theology uh, of the Body? Well, I would say maybe loosely through Jason Everett um, or Everett. I'm not sure how you say his last name, but he's he came and spoke at Hartley when I was 15 um, and just shared the message of chastity more generally. But um, I guess that was sort of somewhat of an introduction to some of John Paul II's teachings. And then when we were Generation Life missionaries, we did a course at the Theology of the Body Institute um, so I don't know. I had a little bit of more ongoing, I guess, training in that. But um, what do you recall? At William and Mary, you had that group. Right. That was actually dead. Right, right. Greatness, yes. So in college, we had was, a group. And we would just like sit in the chapel and read it. About, mm-hmm. for, was that more so just like just a men and women coming together to discuss 
the right. faith in general or was well or was... it sort of turned into that it was um young men and college I've heard students you describe it in different yeah ways. it was college students coming together under Corey's leadership um it was a smaller group i don't know maybe 40 people who regularly came and then he, there would be these events that they would host like this topic of contraception was one of the talks that i recall um in particular because that's how i met christina but typically it was i think on tuesdays we would um, meet sometimes at the Sunken Gardens, which was right in the middle of campus. Usually the guys would go there first because they would throw around the Frisbee or football or something. They kind of had like bro time. I don't know what they did, <laughs> but I just remember the guys doing that. And I don't think I ever was even at, there for that part. And then we would go to the chapel, um, the Catholic. There was a little tiny Catholic chapel on the very edge of campus. So you walk all the way across campus, to this little beautiful chapel, and we would sit in there and we each had our copy of Theology of the Body. And I think mine was purple. I remember the, the um, binding was purple. And we would sit in there and open it up. And Corey usually would have chosen a section that we would read together. And I believe we read out loud. I think we would take turns reading. And then we would talk about it. And a lot of times we'd end up kind of meandering down into what we called the cats, the catacombs. But it was just the basement of the campus ministry. And we would sometimes stay down there on those couches in the campus ministry and talk about this stuff until two in the morning. Wow. Um, so it was really fun. And I'm so thankful because, like I said, this was a public school, but there was so much truth that I was being exposed to um, during those years. And those friendships, you can imagine if you're staying up into the wee hours of the morning talking with your friends about these you know, truths about life and marriage and men and women and um, you really forge deep and meaningful friendships that I still have to this day. And, you know, I still text, you know, most of those women now have families of their own too. And we're sending each other baby pictures and, you know, a couple, actually two of them had a baby within the past 10 days. So, um, it's <laughs> neat that those friendships still continue and we've gotten to journey through a lot of chapters of life together. So That's beautiful. What was this? I don't know. Was this kind of transformative for you? Cause I know in in my own experience, when I first started hearing about theology of the body, my mind was just blown. And mm -hmm. I was just like, why have I never heard this before? It wasn't until I took a a college course my senior year mm -hmm. that I was just like, this is so beautiful and this mm -hmm. is transformative. Mm -hmm. And if at we Franciscan, all, right? yeah, yeah, at Franciscan, yeah. if we all understood this, yes. how great everything would be, right? I know, that's so true. <laughs> and I'm glad that John Paul II reintroduced it because I think at the time I thought it was, well, I understood enough, I think, <laughs> I hope, about the faith to know that there's not like new, there's not new teachings, but he reintroduced it in a way that was really, I think, attractive to a lot right. of young people. And so, at the right time, I think at the right time. on the heels of the sexual revolution. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's what everybody needs to hear. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Josh is our scripture scholar, but I'm embarrassed to say, I don't think I had read enough scripture or you know, just church documents and teachings to have really gotten a lot of that content before, except from Jason, who was also pulling, you know, Jason Everett, who was also pulling probably a lot from Theology of the Body. So I am really thankful for it. Um, and I do think that it was very, you said your mind was sort of blown. I do remember feeling very dazzled by it, mm -hmm. like very captivated and right. my, you know, a little bit grabbed by the collar. And um, I, Yes, I was really all in, um, you know, not just for Theology of the Body, but I think I became more all in for my faith in part because of um, because of reading that and having those conversations with other young people. And um, it's interesting. I think at the time, also just due to my age, 
I really needed in a particular way the support of a Catholic community and not that we don't need Catholic community all through our lives, but mm-hmm. you know, now we have our little domestic church and I have a Catholic family of my own. But at the time, I really in a particular way, I think benefited from that community. And so, like I said, I'm very thankful for those friends, those friendships that I had in those years. I would say, yeah, just going off of the community theme, being able to have friendships with people of the opposite sex and it was shown that it's possible because I was not shown that it was possible in any other capacity in, in middle school or high school. Um, I definitely didn't think that there was any way for it to actually, there be just pure intentions, platonic friendships that can be built around Christ. Um, and, but I think, I think that there are, or ca- little Catholic communities all over the nation, all over the world, um, that have been inspired by by this movement. I would mm. say, mm-hmm. in terms of really bringing the whole um, Catholic sexual ethic yeah. to the forefront, um, and say, look, it, the, the Catholic Church offers what everybody wants. It offers what the heart desires. Um, everybody wants authentic friendships and and learn how to be friendship learn how to be a friend um in order to prepare yourself to for marriage which is about friendship (laughs) that's it that's what i think so many young men and women struggle today to understand is that marriage is about friendship if you don't know how to be friends (laughs) with somebody of the other sex before marriage you're not ready for marriage you will never be ready for marriage you have to to know how to be a friend to a woman if you're a man and um if you're a woman you have to know how to be a friend to a man josh and Catherine kilmer here in the cafe with us are you familiar with carrie grass and yeah yeah Mm -hmm. theology of home i know she's written on that and and the dating project maybe okay is is that what it's called or about I, i i think i have have that right um talk talk more about healthy dating and and, and courtship we've heard some of how um that's played you know a big part in in your story Mm -hmm. how 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 do you engage teenagers young adults in in this um reality that you can begin healthy friendships Mm -hmm. and then move into courtship and marriage man so much has changed in the last 10 to 15 years. Like social media did exist back then, but it's not, not, like but it not does the now. monster like it is <laughs> right. now. And so maybe I'll be able to say something wise. I don't know. I, I'm not familiar with, I, I'm not familiar with the, I'm not spending much time around teenagers, I would say. <laughs> so I'm just not familiar with the way that they see the world, how they approach reality. It's, I think that it's just reached, a, the virtual sphere has reached a different plane than it, it was at 10 to 15 years ago. So um, obviously all the truths that we're talking about and alluding to, they still exist, but uh, I don't want to act like I'm an expert on being able to cut through 
TikTok and and mm, navigate sure. mm-hmm. right navigate those waters and like I'm a parent. I was gonna say, um, what are your prayers for? Ch- I know what they are. Yeah, because you my, have my, little ones, and yeah, one day uh, you have to talk about these day, things, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just haven't, <laughs> I haven't given much prayer and thought to these things yet because just haven't been dealing sure. with teenagers. I will be in about five years, um, and then I will be praying and reading and trying my best to help my teenagers navigate this. But so, what I would think you tell Jane? That, what would you tell Jane if you had to give her some advice? When, what, when Jane's right our now, oldest she's daughter. Four. I know, Jane's four. Go talk to your mom. Oh, well, <laughs> talk to your mom. Yeah. <laughs> and let's, let's, let's touch on social media in general, okay. though. Yeah. Carrie yeah. Cronin is a professor at Boston College. Okay. I got the okay. Carrie right, but uh, she did the dating project. Okay. So go ahead. Well, you can tell I us think, about that. I, I think that we as a church have to tackle these things head on. I know that of course I'm speaking from somebody who attacked these things head on 10 to 15 years ago and was trying to navigate these things with my peers and and our friends kind of just learn how to use these tools for the good and avoid them (laughs) as much as we can um, when in, in general and only use them for the good. Um, but I would say that with where we are right now, uh, that we have to get back to the basics of men and women learning how to be authentic men and women. (laughs) And we are just so far away from being in touch with are the hearts that God has created um, within us. We don't know ourselves very well. And I think social media is designed specifically to confuse us about our identity. <laughs> I think no that question. is what it is yeah. about. And I think that the algorithms are created specifically so that people can be confused about who they are. In well, relationship you, to God, yeah, I mean, your your are. point uh, of avoiding it isn't <laughs> I, isn't the solution because somebody else is going to have that conversation, right, right, with the teenagers right. and young exactly, and, and so so they're going to get information. Get, oh yeah, yeah they're yeah. going to get bad information. It's all about how do we confusion. navigate through this, yeah. and um, and I think taking that to heart, t- like I, I, I I'm not. Like I said, I'm not an expert on these things, but I I will say that I have a very strong conviction in regards to how these, um, how in general, maybe some social media platforms are worse than others, but I can say in general that these are designed in order to suck us in and confuse, confuse us and make us not be able to really understand our identity. Um, That doesn't mean we can just ignore it entirely. Um, yeah. Well, Dave, you had a good point. Like they're going to hear it from someone. Right. And I actually remember being faced with this question when I was a culture project missionary. Uh, we were talking to, I think it was the youth minister and he's like, I don't know. Are you, are you just sure they're, are they too young for this kind of topic? Are they ready for it? Are they ready for that? And I just remember being struck by the question because in my mind, it's like, well, they're going to hear it from someone. Don't you want it to hear it from a place of hope and love and goodness 
as mm-hmm. opposed to what they'll run across on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I think in this conversation at this point, convicted, like I, I see the beauty of your family and how you're raising your children. And I just think, okay, well, they're going to be set up for desiring something more because they're experiencing something more from the mm-hmm. family first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids grow up, they kind of get a taste of the world. We can't 100% protect them. But if they're first and foremost formed in des- like the desire of something good and then taste the world yeah. and see that it's wanting, mm-hmm. we're, you know, we'll, we'll gravitate back towards the goodness, I yeah. think. Absolutely. And, and, pa- and parents, be confident in your influence over your children. Oh, yeah. Speak right. with confidence to your children. Uh, they love you and respect you, and your influence is greater than any any other voice it is well and and, and we're seeing the fruits of a generation that promoted relativism Mm -hmm. you know go out there find your own truths right you know explore figure things out and we'll support you on that journey as you go out and yes and roll in the mud right essentially right i think um you know we so far we've chosen to homeschool our children and hope to continue to, that's the plan. And I think sometimes there's a perception of homeschool families that, you know, they're very overprotected and you, they're very sheltered and live under a rock or something. And I don't know, I mean, I'm half kidding, but half serious. Part of me has sort of recently just started to embrace that. Like, yes, heck yes, I am trying to protect my children. That's my job. Actually, yeah. I'm not, I'm completely serious about that. But as far as, you know, making it a joke, but yes, it that is our job as parents is to protect them. And of course, you know, they will be exposed to things at some point, but we're certainly trying to delay that as long as possible. We're trying to, at appropriate ages, have those conversations first, like Amanda said, so that you are introducing the truth to them before they're hearing lies. Um, And I think if you're growing up in a home and, you know, our home is not perfect, Josh and I are growing as parents, but we're certainly trying. Our, Our number one priority is to raise our children in the faith and glorify God through having a Catholic family. And if you're at least trying to do that, I hope and pray that even when you're not directly teaching your child something related to um, sexuality or to theology of the body or something, they have a sense of the faith that they're growing up with and their conscience is being formed um, from a very early age. And even Henry, you know, he's our oldest son. He's seven, just turned seven about a week ago. But he had his first confession and his first Holy Communion in May. And to see his, um, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we are made for this. We're made for the sacraments and we're made for God. Because even at the age of seven, you could see that he was so intentional and reflective and taking very seriously these sacraments mm-hmm. at a young age. And, um, I mean, Josh and I have a, a long way to go, I think. And nonetheless, we had a child who at this young age was very interested in the sacraments. And then, so I guess I'm saying like to encourage parents, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying this well, but, um, I don't want to say that it doesn't take much, but it does take a lot. It takes everything, but you also with all of your failures and weaknesses, God can, um, can make up where we lack and can still um, kind of arouse in your child a holy fidelity to him, even at a young age. And um, your child will start receiving grace through the sacraments, God willing, at a young age. And to 
you know, as parents to not underestimate the efficacy of that grace and how as they grow and mature and are faced with more difficult questions, um, especially related to sexuality, that they still have that grace um, in them as long as they're not mortally sinning and cutting Mm -hmm. off that grace. Um, So, yeah, I mean, even at a young age, we're we're teaching our children what what is mortal sin so that when they are older, for instance, they'll know, okay, I don't like if I mortally sin, I am cutting off God's grace. So I need to go to confession and Henry now asks to go to confession every other week. Um, mm, so yeah. it's 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 beautiful to see um, that the church has set us up for success, I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so and the, the support of a community is, yes. is huge. Yes. Where, where have you guys found community both in, in, in mm-hmm. your for your marriage as well as uh, raising the kids? Yeah. So we we go to St. Leo's, which is we were just talking about the, St. Leo's the beginning village. of this. Um, yeah. It, we and we have an amazing community there. Uh, we also we live down near Circleville, and uh, we've developed a great community down there um, as well. There's a, just a cute little coffee house down there called Joy House uh, in Circleville. Any Circleville listeners <laughs> would know about Joy House, and yeah, we have great friends down there. Not all are Catholic; most are not. Um, but mostly a lot of home, a lot of yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Mostly evangelical. A lot of homeschool families. Mm-hmm. A lot of families who foster. Yeah, down it's like there. a foster and trend in Circle. In Circleville, Ohio, <laughs> it's yes. the thing to do. In Ohio, like, wow, that's amazing. There. And yeah, so yeah. we have we we have a very full life. Um, we are so blessed. We have developed great friendships here in Columbus, and look forward to developing them even more. Have uh, Have you reached a point where you're mentoring others? Oh gosh, I don't know, not in any formal capacity, um, but you know, Josh always, and Henry, Josh and Henry laugh at me on Marco Polo talking to my girlfriends about you know matters of the faith or motherhood and marriage and things like that. Um, I try to have ongoing conversations also for my own formation, goodness, I mean, I have so much to learn um, and I'm not just saying that because that's what you're supposed to say, I really do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so... I don't know, not in any formal capacity, but I hope that by the witness of a fairly, it's interesting, like I think that a hidden life can nonetheless have a witness, I hope. And my life is pretty hidden. I'm usually at home with my children (laughs) almost all the time, except when I'm here at St. Gabriel Radio now. (laughs) Um, But truly, actually, this is probably only like the second or third time I've been away from Alice in her life. So I'm very attached, hopefully in a good way to my children and to my my husband in our home. So um, I hope that that's a witness, though, because there is so much joy in a life as a wife and a mother. Um, and particularly if you have the opportunity and the blessing um, to be home with your children, I think that that has been a great grace in my life. I know that. Um, and just realizing that even all of the mundane things that might be washing dishes for the hundredth time or you know, just this morning before we left, Alice spit up on the carpet. And so you grab the nearest, you know, I grabbed a baby wipe to wipe it up. But those little things that no one will ever know we're doing have eternal merit if only we offer them up to the Lord at the beginning of our day or even in the moment while we're doing them um, to sanctify those regular daily moments and tasks. And Mm. everything has eternal significance and nothing feels purposeless. And very rarely I, I, presume it's a grace from God, but very rarely do I feel like, oh, I have to do this again. You know, I really don't feel that way only because of the gift of faith. I am sure if you did not have the gift of faith and you were trying to raise small children and you are cleaning off the high chair for the fourth time that day and you are, you know, doing 
the diapers and all those things, it could start to feel mundane very quickly, I would imagine. But um, with the gift of faith um, and the love that you have for your children, that is just, I could never have imagined before having children. Wait, um, which saint is your best friend right now? Oh, that's a fun question. Which saint's my best friend? I don't know. I'm thinking about who's on. We read about a different saint. I don't know if I have one that comes to mind the most. On our counter right now, we have St. Kateri Tekawitha and St. Patrick because at the All Saints Day celebration for our parish, those were the ones that were in our children's little goodie bags that we brought home. We talk about all the saints. I don't know. Growing up, St. Maria Goretti was special to me. Um, I don't know. Who's a, who's a saint that's close to you, Josh? Yeah, Josh. I don't know that I have one who's at the forefront. Yeah, so right now, St. Joseph is I'm in that stage of life right now where before being a father I really didn't have any relationship to St. Joseph now that I'm in the thick of it <laughs> <laughs> learning how to navigate this crazy world uh, you need St. Joseph if you're a Catholic mm. husband and father so St. Joseph for sure I should follow it up and say, well, I guess Mary then. <laughs> Not I guess Mary. <laughs> but she would be the obvious answer for uh, wife and mother. So I do. I have actually, I, am, I recently enrolled in the Confraternity of Christian Mothers at St. Leo, which is a really neat apostolate. If listeners, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you're part of it. You may have a grandmother or a great-grandmother who was a part of it because it's a very old apostolate that began in France, I think in the 1600s. And um, anyway, it's it's a beautiful way for women um to pray for each other, to have regular commitments to a very simple prayer that actually the bottom of the prayer card says to be placed on a mirror or above the kitchen sink. And so I <laughs> placed it above my kitchen sink and it is a simple prayer for our children that we all commit to praying each day. And it's very simple. It's asking for the intercession basically of Mary and of St. Anne and of several other saints. Um, and it basically just entrusts your children to the sacred and immaculate hearts. But um, Mary is just a wonderful, of course, a wonderful saint for every mom, every woman, not just mothers. Um, she's all of our mothers. So not can, our, just can our friends, it's, so it's the confraternity of Christian mothers? Right. That's mm -hmm. what it's called. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there's chapters at various parishes throughout the diocese. So, and, th and if you don't country, have one, yeah. you mm -hmm. can start one. And they're yeah. all in the headquarters is in Pittsburgh. It is, yeah. Um, and you can like get permissions from um, Father. I can't think of his name in Pittsburgh, but is it Father Tuscan? Yes. Okay. Father Tuscan. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh -huh. yeah. That's yeah. it. He's and a great priest. He's great. Yeah. He'll help you establish a chapter if you want one. Yeah. Great guy. Yep. Great how guy. do you know him? Yeah. How do you know Father? He's a Franciscan. Yeah. He is. So, yeah. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we you too, we all stay in touch. Yeah. Yeah. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. Well, Josh and Catherine Kilmer, thanks so much. Thanks I for really enjoyed, us, really enjoyed this yeah. time with you. Mm -hmm. Likewise. It's been Likewise. a pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Dave. So, friends, if you're going to be at the Evangelization Summit tomorrow at ODU, look us up. We'll have a table over in the Griffin Center. So, look forward to seeing you in person. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.